0: Amen, amen, amen. If you love the Lord, say amen. Amen. Man, let me tell you something. The prophet Amos, the prophet Amos, he said, when your commands came to me, when your words came to me, I ate them up. I hope that you are ready just to feast on the word of God today. As we look at the last of the Ten Commandments, and really today is uh, the focus of worship. Today is really a lot about the Lord's Supper, uh, as I've already made mention at the beginning of the service, and uh, we're really preparing our hearts uh, to participate in this together. But the Word of God, there's really nothing that we can there's there's nothing that can help prepare us more than prayer and the Word of God. Obviously, singing is part of that, but really what we sing, we're singing the truth of the Word of God. And so we're going to look at God's Word today, we're going to look at the last of the Ten Commandments, and I'm really, really sad that the Ten Commandments is going to be over. I learned so much just from going back through the Ten Commandments and, and studying the Ten Commandments over these, I don't know, past two or or uh, two or three months, but um, isn't it interesting that that's, that's just how God's Word works? I mean, you can take a section of God's Word, and if your heart is right, it really doesn't matter how many times that you've read it, It doesn't matter how how much you have studied it, Um, if your heart is right, and the Holy Spirit is at work in you, you can read a section of God's Word that you're extremely familiar with, but God always uses it. In an amazing way, I really pray that that has happened in your life over the past several weeks. I pray that as we have gone through these ten commandments, I pray that your heart and your attention has been has been focused upon Christ. And I hope that as we as we end this sermon series with the Lord's Supper, I hope that by studying these ten commandments, all that it has done is just helped you to see more and more how much you need Jesus. And, and If you do have Jesus, it helps you see more and more how much we need to celebrate his broken body and celebrate his spilled blood together. I want to give you a quick recap of all of the sermons that we have looked at. Just in about five minutes, I want to give you a quick recap of all of the things that we have looked at in these Ten Commandments, these foundational principles that God has for us. The very first sermon that we looked at, really, which was the foundation of not just the Ten Commandments, but really the foundation of all God's commandments and the foundation of our relationship with Him, is that God said, "...you shall not have any other gods before me." And in doing this, really what God has commanded us to do is that we are to love him above all others. I, I was thinking about, I was thinking this past week, how, how easily we use the word love. I love ice cream. I love my truck. I love football. I mean, all these things we love. I'm beginning to think that maybe we ought to reserve that term and to use it in appropriate ways. Like, I love my church i love my spouse i love the lord i like ice cream i like i like all those other things but we're supposed to love the lord he's supposed to be so supreme in our life that love is really reserved for him and like i said in preparation for the lord's supper and the altar call and everything we're to make sacrifices to him If He is our God, and if we love Him, and we don't have any other gods before Him, then we make sacrifices to Him. And then we looked at the second commandment. In this commandment, uh, we talked about carved images, where God said, you don't make for yourself a carved image. This is an obvious rejection of idols. Our idols look very different in our day than their idols did, the Hebrews, back in their day. But we still struggle with idols. And what idols do is they shape you and they form you. Because whomever you love and whomever you worship, they shape you and form you. And we don't want to become a a, a carved image by allowing idols to shape us. True worship is a lifestyle of obedience. Then we looked at in this third commandment several weeks ago about how you shall not take the name of the Lord in vain. And if you recall, I defined that word vain as it's is is uh, is empty. In other words, we don't take God's name and use it in an empty way. We don't talk to God in an empty way. We don't talk about God in an empty way. And we looked at several examples of how we have empty words whenever we use God's name. Uh, We talked about empty prayers. Prayers that are just repetitive or prayers that are just for show. Prayers that are just not real. This is taking the Lord's name in vain when our hearts are not really in tune with those prayers. We talked about empty commitments. I mean, how often are we guilty of saying, oh, Lord, I promise I'm going to do something or I'm going to make a spiritual commitment to do something, and it's just empty. We don't. Follow through with it. And so all of these things, these empty ways that we use God's name in talking to Him or about Him is what we talked about in this third commandment. And then when we looked at the fourth commandment, we talked about the importance of the Lord's day. This commandment was, remember, the Sabbath to keep it holy. But we talked about how we, we keep the spirit of the law, we keep the, the, the principles of this law by prioritizing Sunday as the Lord's day. You know, Monday might be a work day. Saturday might be be a play day or or a sports day. Sunday is the Lord's day. It's the day where gathering and worshiping with God's people is top priority over everything else. And so we talked about that in this sermon. But most importantly, we talked about how Every day, not just on Sunday, but every day, we should be finding a rest for our soul through Christ in a culture that just is busy, 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 busy. God wants us to have a rest for our souls. And then the fifth commandment, I was on vacation during the fifth commandment and uh, this was preached by our student pastor, uh, Michael Whitaker, uh, about honoring your father and your mother. I listened to that sermon uh, on Facebook Live as I was uh, uh, driving through some valley in California and it was an excellent, excellent, excellent sermon. I loved it and it talked about the responsibilities of kids. By the way, Kids, uh, this is the only time in Scripture that you are directly named in a command. Children, obey your parents. Um, and in the New Testament, it says that it may be a long life for you. In other words, you know, don't mess up. Uh, so, the, other, uh, the next commandment, uh, commandment six, do not murder. Uh, I, also was, I also was gone during that sermon. And uh, Pastor Tommy Redding, he preached, uh, he preached that sermon. He did an excellent, excellent job covered some topics that are extremely difficult and controversial, but he talked about the importance of, uh, of life, respecting life from conception until natural death. And then in the next uh, sermon the next uh, which was commandment 7 uh, we talked about not committing adultery. And what I tried to do is I tried to show how this commandment of what we shouldn't do really points us to what we what is God's ultimate vision for our life and that is uh, one man, one woman in a faithful and committed relationship for life. And so we talked about the title of this sermon was faithful and committed faithful and committed in other words there's one person that you have a physical relationship with in this life in this life one person and you are to have that commitment your whole life and of course the phrase until death do us part and then uh, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, we talked about you shall not steal and how we're not supposed to take shortcuts to get the things that we want. And that's what stealing is. It's taking it's taken an illegitimate shortcut. But rather, we're to work hard. God designed us to work. This is, this is a, a quality, a characteristic in Scripture um, that we see. And then, not only are we only not supposed to, to steal, we're not supposed to, not supposed to take things that don't belong to us, But ultimately, if we want to be godly, we're supposed to take the things that do belong to us and we're supposed to be open handed and generous. Uh, giving is a distinguishing characteristic of the gospel and of God's character. And then last week, uh, you shall not bear false witness. Uh, this message was about rejecting lying and gossip and slander. And ultimately, and I probably should have titled it this way. Ultimately, we're supposed to talk like Jesus. If we're supposed to, if we want to, if we want to be like Jesus and we want to act like Jesus, then we also we want to talk like him, but not just talk like him. Him. we want to think like him, we want to feel like him, we want to have our our insides, our hearts want to want to be like him as well. And so we talked about how we need to inspect our motives and attitudes and emotions and the tone and all the things behind our words because godliness is something in the heart and in the mind. Today the 10th commandment, the last one, I'm going to cover it very quickly. Uh, we're going to talk about how uh, the Bible says that we should not covet. Uh, and I'm really going to use this as a springboard um, to kind of lead into the Lord's Supper today and kind of, con- uh, kind of conclude uh, this message. Um, but there's a difference between covetousness and contentment. Now, this, this, what we're going to read, this commandment doesn't say anything about contentment, but all of these commandments are not just telling us things that we shouldn't do. By telling us not to do certain things, like not covet, the Word of God is pointing us to an ultimate vision and an ultimate place that God wants us to go. These commandments, in other words, are not ends in themselves, so do not covet, really points us to finding contentment in Christ. So let me begin by asking you a question. What would make life, for you in your mind, what would make everything perfect? What would make everything perfect? What would need to happen in order for you to be totally and completely satisfied? Typically, the way people answer that question is through the, 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 the acquisition of stuff. Like, I need to get a job. Uh, I need to get married. I need to have money. Uh, I need to get that, that recreational item that I really like. I need a bigger house. I mean, it's, it's usually the acquisition of earthly stuff where we get this, this vision in our mind for what would make us happy. The problem with this is this is classic Materialism, classic materialism now the reason i 'm going to go really quick through um, through this well that 's not a promise i 'm going to try to go really quick through this last commandment is because I talked about materialism uh, two weeks ago whenever we looked at the commandment about not stealing and here 's what I shared with you back then. I just kind of re- kind of re- repeat it to you now, but uh, materialism is this obsession with how I can get things for myself. I see things I want them. And the problem is you have this illusion that, man, if I can, if I can get these things, then I'm going to have lasting joy and peace. And usually what happens is when there's materialism or what we're going to call covetousness in the heart, there's usually an elaborate plan that captures a lot of energy and attention that displaces God as the center of your life. And you will either be satisfied with God and God alone, or either you will seek to find satisfaction with things in this world. There really is no, really no in-between. Jesus said a lot of things about this. Um, I have uh, I have several I have several passages I'm gonna share to you with you today, but I really just have, I really just have two that I really want to highlight. Uh, the first is Exodus chapter twenty, verse seventeen, the the tenth commandment, uh, and it says this: "You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey." Or anything that is your neighbor's. So that's the tenth commandment. And then in just a minute, I'm going to read. Uh, I'm going to read kind of. A, 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 I'm going to read a parable that Jesus told, warning uh, against uh, against coveting. But but first, uh, let, let's look at this. Let's, let's look at this ten commandment. How many of you have just really been longing for your neighbor's donkey lately? Man, I just. I passed that field the other day, you know, I was, I was, I was uh, uh, going up uh, Brotherton Mountain Road, this is a fairy tale, I'm going up Brotherton Mountain Road and I look over and I see some cows. Man, I really wish I had those cows. And then I look over to the left and I see that donkey. Man, I wish I had that donkey. I just wish I had cows and livestock. Now, for some of you, this is real, like you, you, you can't wait to live off-grid and uh, have all of your own stuff, but... For most of us, most of us, we're not coveting livestock. And since I would hope that most of us don't have male servants and female servants, I mean, it's just kind of culturally not really relevant to us, we're not running around saying, I really covet that. I really hope that you're not coveting someone else's wife. Uh, Obviously, that's not something that we should do. Now, this house thing, uh, that's real. That's real. You know we we love driving through nice neighborhoods. Oh, did you see that house? Ooh, that is so nice. Look at the way that, you know, they've done all of this. We go into each other's houses and we see certain things. Man, I really wish that I had that. Well, what this list is, this list is basically all of the symbols of wealth in the ancient world in the ancient world if you were to list off symbols of wealth that's what it would be for them for us it's it's a little bit different certainly it would be a house but it might be cars and and boats and RVs and vacation homes and nice clothes and jewelry and and you know recreational items i mean there's all types of things man we have a we have a pretty long list of things that we covet over uh, in our day, and I think this command is is uh, is is pretty as, as relevant to us as it ever has been. You covet things. You covet things that you see. It's kind of the way that it works. You covet things that you see. So you see something that maybe you don't have, and you say, "I really wish that I had that." You know, uh, every time that. That department store or whoever delivers those magazines to your house every time you see those billboards or every time you you see something in the world, whether driving down the road or whatnot say hey, I, I really wish that I had that I want to attain that um, that's that's usually how it begins well, a desire for stuff just doesn 't come from the Holy Spirit first John chapter two verse sixteen talks about the desires of the eyes we we see something that we that we want them, and we also know. That coveting and materialism is just a major uh, inhibitor to discipleship. It's always been a hindrance. Uh, For example, uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 24, Jesus talks about how hard it is for a rich man uh, to get in heaven. Uh, and then coveting is destructive to, I think I have some of these verses for the screen. Uh, coveting is also destructive to a spiritual life as we see in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. Uh, it says, but those who desire to be rich, uh, they fall into temptation, into a snare. And so there's all these warnings. But this last passage that I want to read to you about coveting uh, is, is, uh, is a parable that Jesus told that I think that kind of, that kind of gets at the heart of this Luke chapter 12 verse 15 through verse uh, 21 says take care to be on your guard against all covetousness now this is this is Jesus expounding on the 10th commandment. you know, Typically, all of the 10 commandments are reiterated by Jesus at some point in the Gospels. Um, and covetousness, this, this parable, is all about covetousness. And he says, one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So, in order to explain, in, in order to give, I guess, kind of an example of why we shouldn't covet, Jesus, in his, his classic way, he tells a parable. He tells, he tells a story to illustrate the dangers of covetousness, well, while in Exodus chapter 20, the Bible just says, "Don't covet, Jesus tells us a story explaining why we should not covet. And it's an interesting way that he starts off. He said, "The land of a rich man produced plentifully." Now if he, was, uh, if, if, he was, uh, if he was in the 21st century, he might would say, a man had business ventures that produced plentifully, or investments in the stock market produced plentifully, or they had a job that paid really, really well. This is not the way that you would expect a, a warning against covetousness to begin. You would think, that Jesus would tell a story about a poor person that didn't have anything and wanted to warn the poor person not to covet all of the things that he does not have. But Jesus does it the other way. He talks about the rich person that has a lot and warns about coveting. And he goes on to say, he says, the rich guy thought, "Oh, what will I do? Uh, I don't have anywhere to stack my cash. My gun safe has gotten too big. I can't stack any more cash in there. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. Uh, I'll buy a bigger safe. Uh, I'll I'll buy a bigger barn. Um, I'll build larger ones. And there I can store all my cash, all my stuff, all my grain, all my goods. And I'll say to my soul, I'll say to my soul, oh soul, you are so satisfied. You are so content. You have ample goods. Oh, you have everything that you need. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Boy, that's the life, isn't it? Isn't that the American dream? Just get all that you need. have more than you possibly need. Oh, and don't share it. Just build a bigger barn where you can store it up better, right? Isn't, isn't, that, isn't that the American dream? We all just, oh, just want to get so much, and then I can just I can just relax. I can be totally content. And Jesus said, fool, this night your soul, not your goods, not the stuff that you've earned. But your soul is required of you, and the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? And Jesus said, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Now listen, does it doesn't say that you can't have stuff. doesn't say that you can't have a lot of crops. doesn't say that you can't be a successful business person. doesn't say that you can't own a lot of stuff. The Bible never, ever, ever says it is wrong to be rich. Never says that. Never says that. It says, rather, that we should be more rich towards God, that we shouldn't trust in our material things, that we shouldn't covet those things, because our souls were made to crave after God. Psalm 42, verse 1. Psalm 42, verse 1 says, As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. Our souls were made to crave after God. So here's some practical things for you. I won't spend time on these. I, I could spend a lot of time talking about these. Questions to kind of discern if you're coveting. If you can't if you can't wait, you just have to have it now, it's probably a sign of a coveting. If your mind is preoccupied with getting all the stuff that you want, you're probably coveting. If you're being irresponsible and you're just swiping that credit card and you fill that one up and you swipe another one and you get another one and you fill that one up and then you go get a home equity line of credit and you find anybody that'll loan you money because you can't afford the stuff you want so you borrow the money? That's way irresponsible. Are you willing to be accountable? Are you willing to talk about it? Are you willing to consider that maybe you shouldn't do it? And then here's a big test. Do you give to God's work first? Do you give to what God loves and God desires first? Or do you fulfill all of your own desires? And then at the end of the month, if there's any kind of leftovers Maybe uh, you might, maybe you might give that to God. Well, those are just kind of some tests for you. So the, the point is, is rather than coveting, God has called us to be contentment, and and we really, we, Scripture gives us the secret of contentment. Jesus said, "Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all of these things will be added to you as well." In other words, if you seek the kingdom first, God said, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. And here's here's the interesting thing that I find. When we are responsible and we're good stewards and acknowledge that God owns everything that we have and we steward um, everything that God has uh, in in a way that he wants it's. It's interesting how God produces an abundance out of that and gives us everything that we need and more. I mean, we live in a nation of, of abundance. Um, so let me ask you if you want this. Contentment. Look, what, this is what contentment is. A perfect condition of life where no aid or support is needed. I think we'd all say, man, I want that. I want to have a satisfied mind or disposition. I want to be, be satisfied in my circumstances or my position. The question is not whether or not we want that All of us, all of us want that. The question is whether we're pursuing a route of materialism and covetousness in order to be content in life, or if we're looking to Christ and His sacrifice and a relationship with Him, if if we're trusting in the gospel, and trusting in what Jesus did for us as the way for our hearts to be satisfied. I mean, that's, that's really the choice that we make. You, you, can't, you can't pursue a soul-based satisfaction both ways. You're either going to look for contentment from God alone, and you're going to have that contentment in God alone, even when you don't have the things that you need, even when life circumstances aren't great, Or either you're going to never be content, you're going to constantly be chasing it, and you're never going to be able to get it from this world. Philippians chapter 4, this is what the Apostle Paul said, says that he's learned the secret of being content, that he can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You see, true contentment basically just says, God's enough. God God is enough. So that's the 10th commandment. Let me show you all ten again. All ten. These are these are all. This is not the whole text of all the Ten Commandments. This this is just the basic, um, the basic framework, the basic commands of all ten. If you have been sitting here for ten weeks and you've looked carefully with me at these Ten Commandments and you think you're okay, you haven't been listening. And you certainly haven't been looking to Christ. If you've been looking at all these Ten Commandments, how they're written, as well as how I've tried to open up all of Scripture to show you where these commandments are pointing. For example, not bearing false witness points to us Using our words and talking like Jesus, and all of these commandments, like not committing adultery, is not just something we don't do. It points us towards faithfulness and commitment in all of God's word. If if you've been looking at this and you've been looking at it for ten weeks and you think, well, I'm okay, I'm not that bad, your heart is hard before the Lord, and it could be that today communion would have just would just have no meaning for you, because you know it's not until you not until you realize that your life is broken. That we look at the gospel, we look at the sacrifice, this broken body, the spilled blood, and we see the beauty of what Christ is. You will not see the beauty of Christ until you see first the brokenness in your own life. And I think this is I think this is. The primary reason that people don't come to know Jesus. I think this is the primary reason that people are hard-hearted and and they don't surrender to God or they don't find value in the gospel. is because they don't see their own brokenness. Because if you truly see your own brokenness, then you're going to see and cherish the, the beauty of everything that Christ is. You see, God's commandments, these ten commandments, as well as all God's commandments... They simply show us our need for Jesus. That's why we have commandments. They just simply show us our need for Jesus. Jesus perfectly kept all of God's commandments. I have not perfectly kept even one of God's commandments. Not perfectly. Not in everything that Scripture includes and, and where all of these commandments point to. I haven't even perfectly kept one of them. Jesus perfectly kept all of them. You see, commandments don't save us. Trying to follow commandments and trying to be good enough and trying to do good enough, it's never going to save you. You'll never be good enough. You'll never follow the commandments good enough. You'll never be religious enough. Listen, God will never accept your human effort. It's never going to happen. He's never going to accept your human effort as a basis for being saved. Never. doesn't matter how hard you try. Jesus is the only one who perfectly kept the commands. And so what happens is, the law, God's commandments, they're like, they're like binoculars. They're like a lens where we simultaneously see our brokenness and our failures and our inability to please God, and at the same time see the beauty of Christ and the sacrifice that he made for us. And so we can can fulfill these commandments only as we surrender to Jesus and only as he lives his life through us. You see, any righteousness that you see in me, any righteousness that I see in you, any righteousness that we see in each other, we don't get to take credit for it. It is the life of Jesus Christ being lived through us through the inspiration and the power of the Holy Spirit of God. So we're going to have our altar call now. And I want you to think about the things that you need to sacrifice. Maybe something in regards to these Ten Commandments has jogged your has, has, has really lodged in your spirit over the past ten weeks. There's something that maybe we've looked at that you would say, I need to sacrifice that. I need to give that over to God. Maybe it's a problem that you're facing. Maybe it's, a, it's something that you're lacking. Maybe it's a sin that you're holding on to. Maybe it's an activity that God says, hey, I want you to give that up. Maybe the Lord's calling you to ministry. And the Lord would say, I want you to leave your job and I want you to pursue a call. Maybe God's calling you to give up your vacation time so that you could go on a mission trip next year. You could be the, the maybes, the maybes are endless. What do you need? What, what would you offer God in sacrifice today? Do you know in the old testament you never showed up for worship without something to offer as a sacrifice? In the Old Testament, you would never go into the temple of God without something that you would place on the altar and say, God, I'm here to present this as an offering to you. And you know, God has not done anything that he hasn't asked us to do. God laid Christ on an altar of sacrifice for you. His spilled blood, his broken body. What would you sacrifice and give